Welcome back to Strive Defy, a five-star rated podcast on both Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Uh, just figure that out today. Thank you all so much for that. Uh, as always, I'm your host, Joseph Hadaway, and today I'm sitting down with Michael from Blue Collar Budgets. Thank you. Thank you for having me on, Joseph. Hey, thank you so much for coming on. Appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, yeah, not a problem. Glad to be here. So let's uh, go ahead and dive in. What what can you tell us about yourself and what you do? So I am a uh, full-time personal financial coach. So I run bluecollarbudgets.com, helping people get better connected with their finances, understanding where their money's going every day, every week, every month, <laughs> uh, setting them up for short-term, long-term goals. And just overall, like I said, getting better connected with their finances, you know, with what about three out of four American families are living paycheck to paycheck. It's a big need that's out there to provide help to families uh, with their finances because sometimes they can be scared of their finances. So they choose to ignore their finances and it really just it doesn't help their overall situation. So that's what I'm here to do. Uh, love teaching, love helping other people. So uh, just a natural fit. I think the term I, I like to use is uh, we're all fighting the good fight. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of good information out there that, that people can follow. Some of it, maybe not so good, but we'll get <laughs> you know to that later. But Ooh, yeah. uh, there's a lot of people in the, the personal finance space trying to do a lot of good for for others so it's a good community to be a part of amen i i, I say this a lot and this is a little off topic a little on topic but i i do think as a whole pound for pound we have the best community on the internet in my opinion oh, yeah yeah absolutely yeah there's a lot of i mean the thing about personal finance is the math isn't so complicated but what's complicated is the psychological aspect, the emotions that people deal with. And even with clients that I have uh, personally, either paid clients or the volunteer work that I do, that's also a bunch of coaching. Um, it's the emotion. This is the psychological aspect of the money, not the actual math that goes along with it. But and this, this community is just very uplifting and, and helps everybody out. Amen. Could could not agree with you more on that. Um, that said, before we get too deep down the you know psychology of money rabbit hole, uh, I did also want to ask you know what what was your inspiration for starting Blue Collar Budgets? So I've always had uh, an interest and a passion for helping other people, uh, as well as for teaching. So when I was in like kindergarten. Uh, like my best friend at the time had a speech impediment. So I helped him. And then when I was in like fifth grade, I would tutor a kid either in kindergarten or first grade. I don't know. It's been a few decades <laughs> since that time. Uh, and then, like I said, I took, I used to do sales uh, work, first inside sales. And you get to explain a lot of things over the phone. Uh, and then I also was kind of responsible for training new hires in the engineering department. Uh, so doing that teaching, getting People just, when you see the light turn on for people, oh, bless you. Oh, thank you. When you see that, uh, that moment where they finally get it, you know, and it clicks with them, uh, that's a moment that I like to, to experience and just helping them understand and also being willing to understand that not everybody learns the same way. So you have to, you can't just teach the same <laughs> Thing the same way right everybody learns differently right so you have to be able to adapt your methodology and what you do if you actually want to help the other person can can we call that a subtle sh uh, shot at like dave ramsey or other people with the one size fits all program oh yeah definitely i mean well i mean he's a jerk right <laughs> number one i think i, he, I think he's honestly higher i mean i can kind of see his perspective right he's been doing this for 30 40 years and people still don't follow very simple steps mm -hmm. right he even calls his baby steps to make it as uh infantile as possible right like a baby should be able to do steps and people still mess it up so i can see his frustration and anger <laughs> um 
But then there's the whole other side where mm, maybe it's uh, questionable morals, questionable business tactics or business ethics. But yeah, his size is one size fits all. If you're going to do my plan, you're going to do it this way. And um, locally, I do volunteer work with an organization called Love in the Name of Christ or Love Inc., like incorporated, but it's in the name of Christ. And we get a few people that have gone through the Financial Peace University and it just didn't stick. And so our the method that, that we use is slightly different than that. Uh, and we have much better retention and people have much better um, finances after they end the program than when they ended FPU. <laughs> so yeah, the, the one size fits all doesn't necessarily work. I can have a client that prefers the baby steps. They just want a financial coach to hold them accountable along the way. Uh, that's perfectly fine. I have a 12-step system that I developed that's progressive and easy. Uh, and it's the steps follow one another. And it's not just a one-time through. If you look at like my logo, it's more of a circle, right? Because we want it to have a generational impact. So that way you teach your kids or your nieces and nephew or teach kids in school and you want it to have an everlasting effect. But yeah, the one size fits all as a financial coach doesn't work, right? It doesn't work for other coaching as well, right? Football coaching, bodybuilding coaching, fitness training, you know, you, you have to adapt to where your client is. hundred percent absolutely agree and i I, i'll I'll go and say this now we're not even like 10 minutes into recording i think it's gonna be a fun interview because i think you're the probably 10th financial coach i've had on but Mm -hmm. i think we're gonna get more into coaching theory than i ever have before and i really like that as the direction for this episode i will i will also add on here uh one more call out dave ramsey thing because that's Mm -hmm. kind of becoming something i do every week now right um we're recording this like two days after the clip of him telling everybody it's easy to beat the S&P 500 went viral. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. He's, he's got like 50 clips where he says that, right? I guess he just said it again. Yeah, he, he just said it again. Um, and I, I was listening to a show. This was like two days ago because mm-hmm. I do tune into the Dave Ramsey. Show. This is one of my biggest Dave complaints as well is. Right. He even had a woman who was like, it, it was a guy who called in asking about like, what should his like 85 year old mother do with some several hundred thousand dollar settlement he received. Right. It's the exact same investment advice the the same four funds. Yeah. And I, I've the one size fits all. It bothers the crap out of me. And I think, what, what is it? Aggressive growth, growth and income. I, I actually, I, I, I think I have this two. one from memory. Um, Cause I, I was a huge Dave Ramsey fan for several years there. And until mm-hmm. I fell out of it, um, I, I found the light, as you may say, but I think I can right. still do, do this by memory. And if not, I'll just edit this out. And it never happened. Uh, <laughs> growth, growth and income, aggressive growth and international. Internet, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, his, the thing I don't care about him is the business tactics, the business morals, um, firing one of your employees because she got pregnant out of wedlock, but allowing one of your radio personalities to cheat on his wife when he's on the road. Yeah. Good old, good old Chris Hogan on that one. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll name drop because I, I have whatever his millionaire book back in there. Cause Chris Hogan was the one who got me into Ramsey. And when yeah. I heard that, that just, it for several reasons i i i'm trying i'm trying to find the words but i don't have them i, I think everyone knows what i mean oh. google chris hogan at listeners at home yeah. google chris hogan see how that went down yeah i think i think i follow his wife on twitter and she like just rakes the ramsey group over the coals like every single day or at least once a week not like, oh yeah we're we're doing this day oh and so it's just, yeah, it's, and then the whole, um, I get going through bankruptcy and he likes real estate. I think his dad was a realtor or a broker or something. Both his parents are realtors. I, I, I'm, I'm right. a little ashamed at how much Dave knowledge I have. 
Yeah, and and I get that, but he didn't. The only thing that he really followed of his own advice is that he doesn't like going into debt because he went bankrupt. Yeah. And I I get that mentality. Uh, seen it happen uh, before. So, uh, but what I don't like is he almost preaches that you can end up just like he can with you know he's a multi-millionaire right or a hundred millionaire however you say it. he's getting worth what about 250 300 million and it's all because of real estate right mm-hmm. it's not because he followed his baby steps uh yeah i i think in my opinion and i, I again hey peek under the hood that video for me is coming out on friday where i talk about exactly this yeah um uh, Fake guru is the word that I like to use. Because, I mean, let's see. What is Dave Ramsey's net worth? According to that one guy in my YouTube comments a few weeks back, is $800 million. But I don't think that's right. Oh, I don't I don't think it's eight. I mean, Google no, it's probably not. Google says $55 million as of 2018. And since then, his average income since 2018 has been about $30 million a year between his salary, investments, and uh, book and speaking deals. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I said... That's not getting you the eight hundred million. Maybe three or four hundred. Maybe four hundred, but probably closer to three hundred. Well, let's see. I, I'm just scrolling right now and see your Investopedia as of twenty twenty three estimates about two hundred million. Yeah. Which still more money than I will likely ever see in my life. And right. I'm fi- I'm fine with that. I don't need two hundred million. Oh yeah, de- definitely not. No, I I know if you're going his method. I know that I'm a spender, so uh, <laughs> yeah, I'd rather not have that. But you know, he obtained that through fees for FP. You know, churches have to basically sign an agreement to re up every year. No, I didn't anybody know who's uh, like CFP on his website. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I forget what they. Uh, oh, like trusted uh, pro or something e- elps or something like that because i just that was another point i did a whole youtube video about it yeah that how yeah, they're not they're not vetted at all no they just they have to pay a thousand dollars a month to the ramsey group in order to be listed on the website so i mean yeah. there are three of them just in the small town that i live in so you can just imagine from a nationwide perspective if everybody's having to pay a thousand dollars a month each financial advisor has to pay twelve grand a year just to be listed on his website. Uh, I know I, I looked into ELP program. Guess it would have been twenty seventeen ish, maybe. I wanted to sit down with a financial advisor, huge Ramsey mm-hmm. fan, ELPs, and right. I I lived uh college town I was in population hundred two hundred k and I get thirty plus financial advisors called me right Um, yeah see i filled out their little like contact form because i was thinking about becoming a cfp mm -hmm. Uh, because i have an engineering background um i figured i can do the math uh but obviously you have to go through the certification yep um and so i filled out the form and had like two or three of them contact me and after talking with them i was like "Mm, that's not exactly what i want to do i'm not interested in just taking people's money and putting together a plan and never doing anything else with it again. Uh, I'd prefer more hands-on active teaching, helping people with their budgets and all of the financial advisors I talk to um, are like, yeah, we don't want to deal with people's budgets. We'd love to be able to have a company that we can just send people to for that kind of help until they get enough uh, assets where they need a financial advisor. Um, but yeah, that's where I found out that he charges a thousand dollars a month just to be listed on his website. I was like, mm, that's where he's making money, right? I, on top of the real estate company as well. And I, I don't even oh, want to, yeah. I say, I don't want to know, but the truth is I'd love to know. Hey, you listen to his show. You're going to get six or eight commercial ad reads every single episode. Yeah. I, uh, I wonder what those, what, what an ad spot on a Ramsey show goes for because like I know what an ad spot in a Mr. Beast oh. video goes for oh. and if they're yeah I, yeah I have no idea I imagine it's quite significant and they're so secretive right like the what is it like it's not like Dave Ramsey group right it's like Lampo Solutions mm-hmm. or something it's it's super secretive right and then 
I think his daughter is married to like the son of the like brokerage or whoever manages his funds. I believe she's married to like because obviously the the dad's met right, mm. and I think she married like one of their sons. Honestly, that one I couldn't tell you. I've never looked into that one. We yeah. might have to. It we I may find an article and link it at the bottom. I may tell everyone to go home and do their own research. We'll see how right. it goes. Yeah. <laughs> how much of this stays in and goes entirely depends on how lazy or not lazy I'm feeling this week. Uh, yeah, no, I actually ed- send this editing, in for editing. Yeah, editing requires uh yeah quite a lot of work. Oh my god, I. I, I I shout him out every chance I get because I don't care who knows I have an editor. I edit this podcast myself, mm-hmm. um, but I and I edit my short form content myself. But this is easy. I can cut and paste this pretty easy because it's just a podcast, and more than ninety percent of my listeners are still audio only. So the editing sure. of the video doesn't matter. But shout out right. shout out Sammy Shamil two thousand on Twitter, uh, who edits my long form YouTube content. That man takes four or five hours of work out of my week every single week. And I will never, I can never shout him out enough. I sincerely appreciate the work he does. Perfect. That's awesome that you have somebody that you can partner with and does good work for you and does it quick as well. Oh yeah. He's, he's a good guy. If you want to know, it is painfully obvious which of my videos he edited versus what I edited on my YouTube channel. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good that you have somebody in your back pocket that you can use when you need to. Oh yeah. So because I I don't want this to be the Ramsey bashing episode, though, I'm sure we could do it. (laughs) I I do want to get back into Michael and blue collar budgets. Um, Mm -hmm. So I I guess I'm dividing this into two sections, two remaining sections, however you want to talk Mm -hmm. about it for the listeners at home. First off, we're talking about, you know, Michael and his personal finance philosophy, where it comes from, what he believes is the best way to build wealth, I guess is the way I'm going to word that. We may Mm -hmm. change that up a little bit. And the number two, we'll talk about business industry talk. You said you're a full-time coach, which is like what I'm striving for. So if nobody else gets that far, at least I'll learn something. Um, So starting off with that personal finance talk, um, I just published, I I hate to say this, but I'm going to say it. You are like the... I didn't realize there were blue collar personalities out there who focused on blue collar workers. And yeah. then I, I'm recording with you. Uh, the Nick grows an average Joe uh, episode just went live this week. Again, mm-hmm. dat- dating the recording. Um, and then I also recently spoke with uh charter over at blue collar investments. And I don't know when he'll go, he'll go live, but probably okay. before this just by order of recording and yeah. i'm a- i'm asking all three of you the exact same question and mm-hmm. charter and nick had different answers and i'm curious where yours comes into this as well sure. um is blue collar wealth building like different from white collar wealth building is it harder easier i probably shouldn't say that actually but it, <laughs> ha- is it a different process to the same concepts apply or like how is it different connecting with blue collar workers so i think First, you kind of have to define what is blue collar, right? Mm -hmm. And I think most of us, we have like this image of like the middle 20 or 30% of the U.S., right? But actually blue collar is much more than just the middle 20 or 30%, Mm -hmm. right? If you do uh, like a two standard deviation, uh, from the median, that captures like 95% of a of a set of people, of a set of data. I'm going to interrupt you right there. There's, yeah. the, there's the engineering background right there. That is, the most, right. that is the most math I've heard since my college stats class. Yeah. <laughs> so if you, if you have this like, you know, the bell curve, right? Mm. That's re- just a distribution. And when you're looking at capturing the most amount of data two sigma or two standard deviations away from the median captures about 95% of the data. And so I think there are far more people who are actually blue collar workers than they'd like to admit. You know, when I was growing up, uh, like $100,000 a year salary was a lot of money. That's not a lot of money nowadays. It's still 
a lot of money. But when you're talking, does that elevate you to white collar? I would say it most likely doesn't. Right. So the top, I wrote it down, the top 5% of earners in the U.S. make about 300. The closest data I have was like 2021. Uh, we'll, we'll call um, it close enough. <laughs> yeah. So I bumped it up a little bit to $350,000 annually. That's the top 5%. So I would say anybody under that amount could very easily qualify for blue collar. Right. There's also a mentality as well. So if you're like working on an oil rig, right, you're probably making significant amount of money, right? 150, 200,000 isn't out of the question for those guys working on oil rigs, 12, 16 hour days. You know, a lot of times they work, they'll work for six weeks, then be off for like mm -hmm. two or three, then go back six. So they have a, an adjusted work schedule. It's not a simple nine to five, even though nine to fives aren't always simple. I, I will there's that, that type of <laughs> there's that type of work that's also considered blue collar, but it seems like the pay is more white collar, right? But it also goes to well, you can make four hundred thousand a year, but if you spend five hundred thousand a year, you're not doing yourself any favor, right? So I would say blue collar wealth and white collar wealth building that wealth is the same from a mathematical perspective. Um, but there, there are far more people who are actually blue collar workers than what they would care to admit. That's, that's a really interesting, actually, um, of the three of you. And really, I think this is the first time I ever heard that who bring up income as a, as a blue collar determining factor. Um, mm -hmm. It's like a multi-point determining factor, right? Like mm -hmm. just income alone doesn't make you blue collar. Just your job alone doesn't make you blue collar. I named it blue collar because that's my roots. That's where I came from. Like my first job was scraping paint off the middle school wall behind a urinal and a toilet, which <laughs> sucked with no AC during the summer in the South. Um very your typical what would be considered blue cotton that was just a summer job i was like 14 or 15 at the time um but i've gone all the way through you know even significantly higher uh incomes which i think most people would consider a white collar salary and i had commissions and things like that but i always felt blue collar mm -hmm. right i always felt like a working man's man, right? Somebody you can relate to easily, not somebody who sticks your nose up at other people. And so that's why I called it blue collar budgets, wanting to help the average everyday American, which is, again, is way more than just that middle 20 or 30% of the population. I like that definition a lot, actually. I mean, I, I'm kind of thinking, I've talked about this. I, I sit behind a desk every day, which mm -hmm. by depending on your definition would call me white collar quote unquote, but then, you know, also my wife and I combined don't make a hundred thousand. I'll shout that out right now. Right. Um, therefore, you know, it, we kind of, we're, we're pretty everyday average people. Um, right. Yeah. With two, with a two person household, and this is obviously couples. Yeah. Uh, if you're single, it's a little bit different, not quite half. Um, but yeah, anywhere from, I know I have clients either personally or, or volunteer work that go from 25,000 up to 200, hmm. right? And they all came because, not because it was considered blue collar, but because of the stats and the progression that I go through. So the wealth building stats, which is all the way at the end for me, um, yeah, it's going to be the same. Uh, but it's that that there are far more blue collar people in the U.S. than they would make because it's it has a negative connotation in society. But I see it as a positive connotation. I don't want to be considered white collar. I want to be considered blue collar. I'm not comfortable being considered white collar. I I think we've all kind of seen it. Uh, I'm trying to think what we were watching something the other day. I don't remember what it was. It was something on TV, my wife and I, and I might cut all of this because the story might make no sense. 
Um, oh, it was we were watching House Hunters. That's what it was. Oh, and yeah. it was these couples in Texas looking for like six million dollar houses, and oh, looking at one like mm, the pool's not big enough, or you know this and that. And I told her if I ever become like not just an average guy making his way through life, right? Smack me, hit me with a baseball bat, or whatever it takes to knock some sense back into me. Yeah, I, yeah, learn, learn to be grateful, right? I mean, I never want to. And let me guess, they were an art teacher and like a horse therapist or something right it's always the weirdest stupidest jobs and then they're looking at these houses that it you can't afford that house i don't know who's paying for it but you're not those are my favorite episodes of house hunters that are exactly like you know what you just said like my wife is a stay-at-home mom i color pictures of butterflies on the weekends and so on <laughs> etsy our budget's five hundred thousand. also we live in southern california right right yeah, it, it's insane. And that's the other thing, right? So, a hundred, two people with a hundred thousand dollar salary in Mississippi is drastically different than 200,000 salaries in LA. I, one, you're living like a king. The other one, you may still qualify for food stamps. Not that food stamps are bad. I get it. But I'm just saying that the, that high cost of living area drastically impacts what a salary number can actually be. That's why it's not just a single determinant of what is blue collar. I hundred percent agree with you there. Um, I'm, I'm just going to like, go ahead and, you know, throw some, uh, well, maybe not exact numbers. I think, yeah, let's not do that. But I mean, I've been open about this. You know, my wife and I lived in Tampa, Florida for a while in mm -hmm. Tampa for two with both of us working we could not get approved for a studio apartment. We did not make enough. Oh, wow. Uh, Is that like three or four times? Like you have to make three or four times your. Yep. Yeah. Studio. Yeah, I'm saying, like, I'm saying it wrong. Yeah. Your income needs to be three or four times the rent. There you go. That's yeah. Because uh, studio apartments, a nicer one, especially in town. I mean, it was mm -hmm. a one bedroom, not a studio. Um, they would, they would go to 3000 plus a month, which I grant. Wow. Somebody in the comments is going to find a cheaper one and yell at me, but yeah. I, I can tell you, I had had a good friend, still have a good friend, who mm -hmm. was making way more money than I was, and we went apartment hunting with him. That's that's where those numbers come from. But then right. we moved up here, Greenville, North Carolina. That's you know not even what a tenth of the size. Oh maybe, yeah, maybe a fifth, and like suddenly, wow, we're we're homeowners with a pretty comfortable mortgage compared to our salary. Crazy right. how different different areas can be. Right. And it's also crazy. Like you can, you can make a rent payment that, well, not at this point with higher mortgage rates, but when they were lower, mm -hmm. like you, you're making say $1,200 a month rent payments, but you can't qualify for $800 mortgage. Right. That's yeah. just, that's just insane. But then on the other side, you have lenders who they will easily qualify you for double what you can actually afford which is another thing that um i try to talk to people with there there's all this hurry and rush especially over the last two years oh we want to buy a house want to buy a house want to buy a house at any and all costs and sometimes uh that's a mistake for some people right i've seen people get in a lot of bad situations recently because new property tax assessment comes out <laughs> new insurance rates come out and now they actually can't afford the house that because they bought at the top of their budget they bought at the top of the lender's budget because they didn't yeah. really have a budget now they're kind of sol they either have to sell and if they sell at this point this local market they're probably going to sell for less than what they bought it for so it's a huge area of concern i I try to shout out the same thing. And I, again, to go on a personal story, we, we bought just over a year ago and mm -hmm. we spent maybe half, maybe give or take, yeah. maybe a little more than half of what we were approved for. Right. If we had bought what the top of what we were approved for, number one, I don't know how we would have closed on the house because the extra down payment and things. And number two, we would not be putting food on the table right now. It baffled me that a right. lender looked at our income, which... Uh, has not changed or has gone up slightly in the last year mm -hmm. and said, oh yeah, they could afford this. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're only looking at 
basically one expense. What is your mortgage cost? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's it. They don't care about utilities. They care about other debt notes, but they don't care about food on your table. They don't care about vacations. I tell people a rough estimate is whatever the lender approves you cut it in half. If you cut it in half, you'll at least be relatively safe because they can go all the way up to like 46, 51% debt to income ratio. So if you cut that in half, you're going to be at like 20, 25%. Now, now, now I got to look up how much our mortgage payment is relative to our monthly take home. Okay, okay, so yeah, we, we spend about 22% of our take-home pay on our mortgage, which is a number I'm pretty happy with. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, if we had gone for twice the size house, suddenly we were spending 40, 50K because you know, added property taxes, additional escrow, and yeah. all that. We're spending 40, 50, like you said, plus percent of our income a month on a mortgage. Yeah, the it, easiest, the easiest <laughs> thing to do at the very beginning of the process is whatever the lender tells you, cut it in half. Now, that you may not like that number. And you're going to constantly try to go above it. But if you set that plus or minus, you could say 5% once you get down the road, but the initial estimate, just cut it in half. And that's what, that's what I did. So I bought a house back in 2012, uh, right at the bottom, by the way. <laughs> um, and I was approved at the time because I wasn't married then uh, mm. for like, 250 275,000 somewhere one of those I bought a house for 140 mm -hmm. 140,000 so yeah just a little bit more than than half or right at half and it worked perfect for my budget because at the time working a sales job you get paid generally most sales jobs get paid once a month mm -hmm. so you have to learn how to manage your money very well uh, when you get paid once a month yeah i perk of a uh, bi-monthly pay uh, right and and my uh, this might get cut even i don't know i i say that a lot for things that don't get cuts so maybe i should stop saying that my wife and i get paid an alternating week so we get paid weekly it's kind of nice oh yeah that's perfect L little personal finance tip marry someone with alternating pay weeks bam <laughs> yeah 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 once a month it takes you when i first started i was like oh because i was working a job that got paid every week it was in manufacturing um but they were closing the plant there were other uh there was a little bit of nepotism i knew the the hr lady she's like a second cousin's wife or whatever um not, but they not were closing, about it all <laughs> yeah but they were they were uh closing the plant needed some temporary work and so i went from getting paid every week to once a month and it was like two months in i was like mm, i gotta manage my money a little bit better because running out of money on like the 16th or 17th sucks Ooh, when you, yeah. when you don't have another paycheck coming to the 30th or 31st. That's when you got to go down to the, the college ramen life again. Which Absolutely. Nobody, nobody wants to do, but sometimes you gotta. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. Rice and beans. Right. Amen. Actually, you know, this is a, this is a good point to bring this up. Um, I wanted to ask you about your budgeting method. Cause it was a little different than what, what I've heard before. I think in our preliminary mm -hmm. call, you mentioned you do more of an expense tracking budget over like a zero sum. Am I, what am right. I remember that correctly or? Yeah, you are. So I prefer to start all my clients out regardless of uh, their level of income, their level of debt. I teach all my clients to track their expenses for the first month. Every time you spend money and not, not on an app, uh, but physically writing it down with pen and paper. So when you write things down, you create a better, what I call like financial memory. You're able to better re remember the money you've spent. Now, credit card companies, debit card companies, they, banks, they don't really like you to remember where you've spent money, right? They want to keep you, they want to keep you swiping that card, forgetting about your finances, not being connected. And so the first step is just, like establishing a baseline. We need to know where is your money currently going? Because nine times out of 10, that first meeting is, I know how much I make. I know what my big bills are, but at the end of the month, I'm still out of money. And I'm like, 
you're spending money somewhere else throughout the month. It may be legitimate spending. It may be unnecessary spending. But there is more money being spent in a month than what you realize. And the only way you you can't see it by looking at a bank statement. You The only way to understand where that money is going is writing down your expenses every single day. And so, yes, the expense tracking is far more valuable of a tool than zero-sum budgeting. It's just... I don't understand how the first step is to start a budget when you're currently mismanaging your finances. It means you're going to mismanage your budget because you don't understand where your finances are going. And I I do a very similar thing in my coaching as well and probably will eventually in a course soon-ish to Mm -hmm. come. Maybe we'll see. Mm -hmm. My my first step is the exact thing. Take a snap, snack, take a snapshot. Um, because mm-hmm. you got to know where it's going before you can just start budgeting, you know? Right. And you have to know your your spending patterns. Like I've had clients come up and say, hey, like I have therapy on Tuesdays. And then after that, I noticed the last three weeks I went shopping afterwards. Right. And sometimes that therapy uh, can bring up other emotions. And then to solve those emotions, you go shopping right oh, and it doesn't mean that that's bad you know there's that, that's where the, the psychological aspect comes in the finances mm-hmm. not so much the math part right but i've had clients right by tracking their daily expenses they're able to better understand some of those things that they do with their money that didn't they didn't know that they were doing it, right it's almost it wasn't it was definitely subconscious spending, uh, going through the grocery store without a plan, right? Especially now with groceries being twice as much as they used to be. You know, if you go into the grocery store and you don't have a plan for what you're buying, you're going to drop 150, 200 bucks easily. Oh, I mean, I, I was actually just talking to somebody about this. Um, it's, I'm not going to name drop them, but there, there's three people living in their home, three adults, and they mentioned spending like seven, eight hundred bucks a month on groceries. Whereas my, my wife and I, two adults, can comfortably get by on like 400. And so right. my question is, you know, where does it go? And they, it's exactly like you said, there was no plan, there was no list, there was no, mm-hmm. this is what we're going to eat this week. It was like, oh, you know, this looks good. I will pick up some of this, you know? Right. And and a lot of times I've seen people just estimate how much they spend on groceries. And it's usually off by either a third or a half, right? Like That's they are ridiculous. well <laughs> underestimating how much like, oh, we only spend like a hundred dollars a week on groceries, so four hundred bucks. I'm like, mm, how about you just keep track of that and we'll total it up at the end of the month? And at the end of the month, they're like, I spent seven hundred and fifty dollars at the grocery store. I'm like, That's exactly what I thought. <laughs> Obviously, obviously, you don't say that. You know, you congratulate them for writing down their finances for a month, writing, tracking their their expenses for a month, and then coming up with a plan. Okay, if you enjoy spending that much at the grocery store and you like doing all that, that's fine. But we have to find we only have so much income, so we have to find the money for it somewhere else. But the first step again is just understanding where. That those expenses are going and, and where your your money's going each day. Absolutely, amen. Um, yeah. Now, now I need to audit our grocery budget see if we're spending seven fifty a month. Um, I I'd like to think we're not. I'm ninety percent sure I keep a pretty tight budget, but now that you say it, I gotta I gotta check the old bank account. <laughs> yeah, yeah, start, um, yeah. Start tracking your your. My wife and I, we have probably three or four spiral bound notebooks and a couple hundred pages of just every month we've been tracking. We've been tracking our daily expenses since 2015. Wow. So nice. the year the year before we decided to get married. So mm-hmm. uh, we do the same. We just got back from vacation. We came up with a budget on vacation and we were at, we we were we went over our budget by half a percent, 18 bucks. So I'd say that I'd say that I'm pretty good at estimating our budgets at this point. And that's why we don't feel constrained by a budget. We just watch what we spend. And if it gets out of control one month, we have a discussion. 
you and I might need to hang out more because that sounds like exactly what we do in my house as well. Yeah. I, I, in all truth, like I, this if we're spending seven fifty a month on groceries, I, I don't want to say I run a tight ship because that sounds that sounds bad, especially when there's another person living here. Because right. we are on the same page financially, thankfully, but we. Yeah. We've been, like you said, I don't think we've been using the term. We've been expense tracking for several years as well, probably since we moved in together, which would have been like 2019-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we, I, I can guarantee I could call my wife right now, even though she's at work, right. I'd interrupt her day. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and she, she, just as well as me, could tell you like where every penny goes and whatever. I could pull a random expense from the bank account and she could say we went to Sam's on Saturday or something. Right, right. Yeah, so, um, but yeah, looking at the statement is different than physically writing it down, right? And the reason why it's, it's, it's kind of evolution, right? So humans have, I mean, there are varying estimates, but let's just say 10,000 years, right? Humans have been around 10,000, 20,000 years. Well, if you go back, what, besides the bones, what else do we have? Drawings on cake. Mm-hmm. Right. So humans have been writing things down. So from an evolutionary standpoint, when you write things down, you're you create a better memory than using a digital app. That's I mean, when was the iPhone invented? Right. Like 2007 or something. So you're talking not even two decades versus 10, 15,000 years of evolution. I'm going to take my bet that writing things down is much better from a financial memory standpoint than than from using an app or reading a bank statement. Steve Jobs' ghost is uh, screaming at us right now. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I don't really care for Apple products that much, but I'm an Android guy. I'm recording this on my Mac next to my iPhone. <laughs> I actually uh, have I actually have an iPad because I took flying lessons. And for uh, like four flight and things like that, it, Apple, Apple makes phenomenal products. I just don't have a use for android just easier for me to use i'm going through my drawers now because i know i have an ipad somewhere at this desk i just don't use it much so oh wow am i an apple fanboy might might be might be are you going to go into debt to get the one that they just released i and i've had my same iphone for like four years now uh perfect i basically it basically has to live on the charger now but i'm getting rid of it until that until that screen goes black i'm getting rid of it Yep, yep, there you go. The amount of people that go into debt for the newest stuff, I think that's actually decreased a lot over like the last two years. And I think the the average person can't use a cell phone to its full potential anyways, right? Like I can't tell the difference between this phone that I have with like a Galaxy I don't know which S it is. It's one of the numbers, right? But if I took a picture with it, took a picture with a brand new one, my eyes probably wouldn't be able to resolve the difference in the clarity. I also think about that a lot because even if this MacBook's a few years old. My iPhone is, I don't know how many generations I'm back now. A few, mm-hmm. several. Uh, I, I think about that a lot. I, I look at the new features and I'm like, oh, this is, this is like a Twitter machine for me. What do I really right. need the new one for? And sometimes I think people need to ask themselves that because I've met people, like you said, who will wait in line, go into debt for the yeah. newest iPhone and then scroll Facebook. Right. And it's like, and what, like what, what did you get from this? Right. And then like Verizon, like the past three months has been constantly texting me like, hey, bring in your phone. We'll give you a new one completely free. I'm like, things must not be going well. I mean, cell phones are like, 1200 1300 bucks you're giving them away for free like they don't cost that much to make but i mean why are you just giving away phones for free right i've heard a theory on that i don't know how true this is but like the theory is that the wireless plan you have to lock into which is gonna be at least for me um i get the same two three texts a day asking me to come trade in my phone for free with right. uh, optimum uh-huh. and it, it's i called him one point just to ask because i was like you know you know i might hear him out and it was you had to sign like a three-year contract or something so i guess the money they're making off that contract is more oh, than they're wow. making off the sale of the phone or more than they're losing off the sale kind of kind of like co- the costco rotisserie chicken right right it's a lost leader but yeah 
I understand that for Costco and chicken because they sell other things, but like Verizon has phones, right? Mm. Like <laughs> you, you're not going into Verizon and buying clothes and then buying dishwashing fluid, right? Like they're, <laughs> they're, I don't want to say they're a one trick pony, but like if the one product you sell, generally speaking, you're giving away for free. Mm. I don't know that that's uh, representative of strong economic times. I, I, I will say uh, I am not an AT&T nor a Verizon shareholder. So, and I, I, that that's a little bunk. I don't invest in individual stocks like at all, but yeah, yeah, I, I look at those stock charts and I'm like, not investment advice. Don't sell right. because I said so. Don't buy because I don't like it, but it's not for me. And I'm going to tell you what, let's look heavily into like that debt sheet before you buy a stock. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So, yep. So I, I think, man, we, we have kind of been all over the place. Yeah, you kind of make a plan and then eh, you just wing it, right? Which so. is which is what we're doing. And honestly, I'm having a I'm having a good time. I am not. Yeah, it's much it's much all. more natural than you asking a question and I just answer it, right? Because I'm typically like I I'm introverted, so I don't talk a bunch unless I'm super interested in the topic. So if it's natural and it's free flowing, I can talk constantly. But if it's like having to read a, a Bible verse of Bible study, because I have Bible study tomorrow night at church, I'm like, mm, no, I'm not going to raise my hand. I'll let somebody else read that. But finances, sure, yeah, we'll talk about it. Uh, see, I, I'm I'm the exact opposite to you on that point. Um, mm-hmm. Ask my mother-in-law, especially. I know uh, she's got some words about this, but no, nobody <laughs> nobody can get me to shut up. Uh, Love you, Gina. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll uh, you know what we shouted out Sammy early in the podcast. Mm-hmm. I, love my, I love my mother-in-law. She is amazing. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I have a fantastic Jill. We give each other uh, a lot of hard times sometimes, um, but it's all in good fun, right? Like if I if I didn't like her and I didn't love her and didn't care about her, I wouldn't bother doing that, right? So it's uh, we always have fun with it. Like one year, I she took like. At our wedding, she got a really unflattering picture of her. So I put it on the back of the t-shirt. And the front was like, you have the best son-in-law. And that's what she got for Christmas. And then the oh, next year, like I got this ugly penguin uh, sweater. And then one year, she sent me a birthday card. But it was like, congrats, you're 30 now. Well, I was actually turning like 29. So then I we just got her one, uh, I think last year or the year before. Like, hey, you're turning 70. Well, I think she was actually turning like 68. So it's a lot of back and forth. But no, I have phenomenal in-laws. Oh, you! I hadn't even thought of the t-shirt idea. You just ruined Christmas for me. Oh, yeah. Well, oh, yeah. You, you made it great. It was for, hilarious. <laughs> so you made it great for me and my father-in-law, but maybe not so much for my mother-in-law. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. My father-in-law loves it, too, which probably gets even trouble with my mother-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, wait, we might have to. Well, now who am I kidding? Gina doesn't listen to this episode this podcast. <laughs> she, I don't think she does much online content. This might, some of this was definitely getting cut, and I'm saying that for real this time, yeah. um, because I, I can tell you, I don't think she even knows that I do this. I don't think we've ever talked about it, but yeah. it, it gets really funny when I we go visit the in laws and my mother in law, my mother in law and I have inside jokes that I have to explain to my wife. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. I know how that feeling is. Yeah, it's a good feeling though, because considering how much you know, it's uh, said to be the other way. Absolutely, yeah. That's that's kind of the norm, and it's unfortunate that there's this stigma against in-laws, right? Like, I I love my in-laws; they're they're phenomenal. I it's sad for people who don't have that same level of, of relationship with their in-laws because they're like a. a second or third set of parents at this point right I, well that like it or not you're stuck with them so yeah yeah absolutely um that that was the joke i made about my wife is uh wasn't just marrying her mary you know got the whole family coming along with absolutely and yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's true for most people in most really long-term relationships yeah. marriage whatever civil partnerships right whatever you enter into with another person Right. And that's what I go into because a lot of my coaching is with married couples. Mm -hmm. And so I go into that 
quite uh, frequently is, you know, you're not, you are marrying this person, but any financial habits they've picked up along the way have come from their family. You have financial habits you picked up from your family. And so you're bringing all of that complexity and you're trying to just focus it between two people. And sometimes there's, you know, a lot of head clashing that goes on because it's different perspectives. And most of the time it's just talking with people about how to communicate with one another. Right. Real quick. Do you also have a podcast or a YouTube channel or anything? No. Well, I do have, I guess I have a YouTube channel channel but there are no videos on it or anything like that i'm gonna say that was the best segue to get us back on track i've ever heard oh yeah could not have been like that well that almost i I worked i worked i worked in sales right so obviously i had to follow a bunch of old guys around and they tell me about all of their problems and all that i'm like great now here's a product i'm trying to sell you because i need to make some money so See, you always have that segue back into, you always have to find that opportunity in sales to, I don't talk much, but when I do, it's, it's usually worth listening. <laughs> and that's where we differ. Cause I, I work relationship management. Yeah. So, you know, my job is, Hey Michael, how are your kids? That good, right. huh? And uh, did you get any snow this year? Uh-huh. And, and while we're on the phone, can we talk about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's just different perspective. Right. But yeah, I think um, being able to communicate with your partner, especially about finances is so important. It's, and I just recorded, I I think, I don't know, my content schedule, especially for the everything podcast wise is a little out of whack right now. So I don't know who's going to go live first, but I just recorded. And when I say just, I mean like yesterday an right. episode with Karen who does the money and marriage blog. Okay. And that's exactly, and we talked a straight hour about that exact topic, how important it is to be on the same page financially as yeah, yeah. you and your spouse or as your right. spouse. I. And look, it, it, it's not even as much as being on the same page, just being able to communicate first about what page you are on. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, we, we looked it up and it's a uh, fun fact Forty uh, percent of divorces in the U.S. Uh, are, they say, solely due to uh, bad communication around financial problems. Yep. And I would say that that number is probably low because I, yeah. finances probably lead to other behaviors that then lead to divorces. I mean, right? I I know when I'm stressed, I'm not myself. <laughs> so oh yeah, and I know other people are the same way. And that financial stress it hits and it's deep. It is because it affects every other aspect of your life, mm-hmm. right? Like if you work a nine to five and you can't pick up a side hustle, you can't get overtime, but you have bills that are coming in and you can't pay. How are you supposed to get ahead? Right. There's only so much cutting you can do because you have to be able to live, not take vacations or anything like that. Obviously we can cut those things out. Mm-hmm. But you you literally have to eat food. Now, there, you may be able to go three or five days without food, right? If you want to go that extreme, right? Or you can take the, the, the rice and beans, beans and rice methodology if you want. But you actually do have to. There are certain things that you have to have hmm. nowadays. And so, yeah, if you, if you have kids and homeschool and do what work you can, I mean, it gets tight sometimes especially with the the volunteer work uh, that I do as, also as a budget coach. You know, the incomes that, that we're working with in that group are poverty level and below, according to the IRS, right? So you're talking very small budgets. So we just have to find a way to make them work, and that involves communicating. It really, really does. Um, yeah. and I'm going to get us back on track for, you know, what I, th- I think I talked about this in the Ethan episode, which I can tell you for fact is going up before this one. Cause it's already edited and scheduled. Um, uh, mm-hmm. this, this whole podcast is, is my 80. If a psychologist listens to this, they'll probably tell me I have ADHD. Um, but that said, peek under the hood. 
before every guest comes on, I send a list of perspective questions and talking points. Right. Uh, we've hit about three of them of the 12 that I sent. No, 13 that I sent. 12, 13? Yeah, I can't. yeah. 12. Uh, quick math. Um, and there's one that I, I have to hit, even just for my own benefit. Yeah. You are a full-time financial coach. Yes. Massive respect for that. Um, mm-hmm. And I got to say, you were also, I know a few other full-time coaches. And I'm not going to call any names out. But I, I get those people in my DMs all the time that are like, they have the programs or they'll bring in people to overhaul your everything. So you mm-hmm. can be a, your coaching program and then three months can go to like from $0 to 10K. Right. I've never signed up for one of those. I'll never sign up for one of those, but I can for sure point fingers at a few people that have. So oh, yeah. one thing I like about this talk is, you know, you are a full-time financial coach and mm-hmm. you don't seem like you've gone through those programs. Uh, you are without a doubt the most... Uh, approachable and easy to talk to of any of them that i've met wonderful glad to hear it (laughs) hey i'll anytime um so i'm assuming you're growing it all yourself or you know at least to an extent you're very homegrown self-grown self-made question mark person and i want to ask any marketing tips for your business like how are you finding new clients so the biggest source of new clients that i have is probably local financial advisors Hmm. because they have the business um how do i want to say it like like when you do search engine optimization Hmm. a financial advisors team like um like fit was edward jones investments right like they're a huge multinational corporation billions of dollars in assets their search management optimization is going to be far better than what they can do, right? Like I run my own website. I design my website. I write the content for my website. I do everything myself. Versus so a, a multi-million I, dollar team. Yes, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I know that if I can partner with the local people here, mm. then I they get hits on their websites much faster then I get hits on my website. Like the three ELPs, there may be more now in my local area, mm. but I've gone, met, and talked with each one of them. Uh, and they routinely send me people who call in. Now, according to the ELP, they will give them a free hour of financial advice. But within that hour, towards the end of it, they mentioned my business and my service. There's also local banks, local credit unions, mm-hmm. uh, churches, bookstores. So uh, if mm-hmm. if you have a book, right, bookstore is great. Hey, we're about um, to get to that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you just have to find larger corporations. So up here, there is timber and mining are the two big industries. There's also like military manufacturing so those uh, because we have a huge uh, Fairchild Air Force Base here uh, well actually just over the uh, border in Washington mm-hmm. um, but they're huge employers of a couple thousand people so if you can get in touch with their HR team and their HR benefits team then you can say hey can I come in and do a presentation on personal finance and money management and then spend a day, half a day and just anybody who wants to come in and meet with me one-on-one get a free 30 minute session. So yeah, those are the marketing tips that I have just for the business itself, but it's so hard to compete on, on Google searches, right? Because who knows if the keyword you're aiming for is what people are actually going to search for I'm over here taking notes as you talk. Uh, I, yeah. I know, I know, we talked about that in our preliminary calls. So that was a question that I, I kind of already knew the answer to, but mm-hmm. hey, now now it's on recording. Uh, yeah, I got to find me some advisors to partner with. I guess. Yeah, advisors are great. Um, they're going to want to know your methodology. A lot of mm-hmm. them like the fact that I approach uh, personal finances not so much from the mathematical side. I mean, that's certainly involved, but. I try to focus more on the psychological side. I want to get people better connected to their money because that's going to do far more for their finances than just telling them one plus one equals two and you only have three (laughs) to spend, right? Hmm. So that is, I want to get them 
better connected so that way they have a better financial future. And if they have kids, have kids currently or have kids in the future, um, that they can pass those skills down. So I, I want to teach it from a very teachable perspective. That way they can go forth and apply it uh, and help others around them also. Love to hear it. Yeah. So then that said, moving into our closing questions, mm-hmm. where can we find you on the internet? So bluecollarbudgets.com uh, is my website. Make sure it's budgets, plural, not because there is a blue collar budget that I guess whoever bought it never did anything with it. Um, Ooh, but So hey, mine hey. is plural blue collar budgets. Um, and I do have a Facebook page, although I'm much more active on Twitter. So uh, you can search blue collar budgets, all one word, or my handle is M E L L C B B B. And short story on that is, uh, it's actually so blue collar budgets is actually wholly owned and operated by Martin Enterprises LLC, mm-hmm. um, which is my company. And it came from like in my grandfather's garage, there was like an old picture that had like Martin Enterprises, like semi trucks. <laughs> it wasn't a business he owned, it was just a picture that had our last yeah. name on it. And so I was like, well, I'm going to name my business, Martin Enterprises, kind of after that LLC, of course, because I'm dealing with finances, uh, even though I don't give any investment advice. And then the BBB was kind of funny. I meant to do BCB, obviously blue collar budgets, but I hit B (laughs) three times wrong. And I thought I could change it later. turns out you can't really change your handle. You can change whatever shows up before your handle, but you can't actually change your handle. And so that's, a funny mistake because BBB doesn't make much sense uh, for blue collar budgets, but I never thought the question. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, we will link all of that in the show notes below, of course, in the video description. If you're on YouTube, hey, if you're on YouTube, yeah. subscribe, please. Um, and then uh, I also want to bring up you have a book. Yeah, so I have a. Uh, it's available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. It's called Money, Past, Present, and Future. Uh, from financial chaos to financial collaboration. You can see the the uh, the book cover is actually done by me. Uh, and it's kind of a, a money tornado, which signifies the financial chaos. And then it eventually goes to um, building wealth, which is the financial collaboration. And if you look down here on the on the computer screen that's on the book, <laughs> it actually says www.bluecollarbudgets.com. Uh, it's available on uh, Kindle Unlimited. There's no charge for it being on Kindle Unlimited. So if you have a Kindle Kindle account, uh, you can read it for free. You can. There's an ebook version, and I just released the paperback version. Although there are uh, a few changes to the paperback version because the uh, the ebook's been out for about five months, and so I took some changes that uh, weren't able to get in there. And then because I focus so heavily on tracking expenses in the appendix section, there's a very simple uh, expense tracking just spreadsheet it just has you write down the date whatever category and the amount to get you uh in the habit of tracking your expenses and it's kind of the paperback version is kind of like a workbook that we go through uh during the coaching sessions and it's only ten dollars uh the ebook i think is is 3.99 if you want to do the electronic version uh, but as I mentioned, writing things down, especially when it comes to your finances, is, is far better uh, than just using an app or uh, using the Kindle to read it. And the, the paperback version is 10 bucks. So, you know, less than the cost of a, a combo meal at a fast food <laughs> restaurant, right? And if you can afford that, why not no, spend okay. 10 bucks to improve your, your financial future? Very true. And I, I did not tell you about this beforehand, but I do want to do this. Um, as a thank you for coming on the show, uh, let's give away a couple copies of your book. Let's, uh, oh, yeah. let, let's, let's just, let's start with two because that, that's just a fun number. If you've listened this far in the podcast, um, either comment down on the YouTube video or hit me up in my DMs. This is Maggie. 
say something nice about Maggie in my DMs. Tell her she's cute. Tell her she's special. Tell her she's small. She is very small. And my DMs, comments on the YouTube video, whatever. And by the end of the week, so this is going to go live on a Monday. So Friday, 5 p.m. Eastern, I will pick two winners and I will ship you uh, a paperback copy of Michael's book. Perfect. That's, that sounds great. No, Maggie's being a very good doll right now. I uh, I woke her up for this, so I think she's trying to figure out what's happening. <laughs> like, what's going on, Dad? Exactly. <laughs> so then, closing question that we do in every single interview: uh, What's next for Michael? So, uh, get back into uh, blogging. I uh, have quite a few blogs up. I wrote pretty consistently for a year, and then got busy. Developed the ebook. Developed a paperback book. Uh, did coaching, uh, volunteer budget coaching. And so trying to get back more into regular blogging as well as uh, book sales, book signings, and just getting uh, my book out there. So that way, um, yeah, we can try to help more people. And actually in the book, there is a coupon code for 50% off hey. uh, my coaching services. So yes, definitely comment on Maggie below and you'll be able to get 50% off of blue collar budgets, coaching services. Sounds great. And I know she will appreciate the comments as well. <laughs> and of course, more, uh, more podcast episodes, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So that said, once again, thank you so much, Michael from blue collar budgets for coming on the show. Uh, especially, yeah. if you, especially if you've listened this far in the episode, rate us five stars, Apple podcast, Spotify, uh, write us a review. People have been leaving us ratings for that. No one's written the review yet on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to the video. Once again, comment or DM me at FC on Twitter or Instagram to say something nice about Maggie. And we will see you all next week. <laughs>